0: We all here. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So he illuminates our mind and our eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are coming to look in your scripture. God, we want to see your face and see your beauty, Lord. God, we can't see it without you working and moving and opening our eyes and our spirit to behold your truths, Lord God. So we are asking just for illumination. Of your scripture, God, that you open it up, let us see your beauty, Lord God, that we are transformed by this word as we reflect on joy and joy in the Lord. God, touch your people today, God. I know there are concerns out there, Lord. You know their concerns and problems and trials, Lord. But may we rejoice in you despite those things, may your joy out shadow those things, God. So I'm praying that you just move upon the hearts of your people. Set them free today, whoever's in bondage to whatever thing they're going through. God, I pray that they reflect on you and who you are and find joy and rejoicing, and break that chain, that chain of depression, that chain of sadness, that chain of being let down. God, I pray you you break that in the name of Jesus. Lord, you be glorified. Amen. Amen. So today we... By God's grace, I get to preach on something that is very dear to my heart, which is joy. Joy, and I, and I, and I say that because sometimes when it comes to responding on God's word, there are subjects that are uncomfortable. You kind of don't you want to talk about, and then there are those topic and subjects that you just love, and you're like, "Yes, God, let me preach on this." And so um, today we're going to talk about joy, and this is just, its joy is a major thing. I want to see, do I want to get in this in the text, or do I want to just kind of go beforehand? I guess I'll just speak on my own. No, matter of fact, I'll, I'm going I'm to go when I get in the text. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let's, let's go to Nehemiah, Old Testament. Nehemiah, that'll be our, our jump off scripture, but we're going to use a lot of the Word of God, so we're going to go other places. But Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 10. So today we're going to be looking at joy, joy in the Lord, or the joy of the Lord is your strength, that's Nehemiah and Ezra would say. All right, we're here. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 10. I have the NASB, so if you have a different version, it may read a little bit different. But hopefully we all come to the same place, same conclusion. And it reads, Then he said to them, Matter of fact, I'm going to back up so you can have a better context. Go to verse 9 and it will come down. then Nehemiah who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law then he said to them go eat of the fat drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy. Joy being defined, or how I would define it, is being satisfied i would say i would call it an enduring satisfaction and gladness in heart and mind in god and particularly in the new testament i would say that would be in the person of jesus christ and his work of redemption and the restoration of life so that's kind of how how i would define joy and so in this text today in nehemiah The people in Nehemiah's day, they needed some joy. They needed to hear this because because of their sin, their whole town, Jerusalem, the wall had been burnt. It had been, it had been taken over by enemies and, and many of their relatives had gone into exile and many of their relatives were, were, were slaves and all this was, was because they rebelled against God and His word. So they were in just this deep sin. And so they they're in this deep mourning and sin as Ezra begins to read the law because they're now convicted in the heart. They realize that. The reason all this has gone wrong, my, my relatives are gone and the wall has been burnt. is because we have rebelled against God's law. And so they are cut to the heart and they begin to mourn as Ezra begins to read the law. But then Ezra says in Ezra and Nehemiah, they say, today's not a day of mourning. But today is a holy day. And he tells him that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and when I read this text, I say, yes, Ezra Nehemiah, you got it right. I say, yes, you 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 got it right, Ezra and Nehemiah. Yes, the joy of the Lord does strengthen. It is my strength. And, and I realize when I'm reflecting on Jesus and where I used to be, and when I begin to reflect on how I used to think, and when I begin to reflect on who I am now compared to who I used to be, I begin to rejoice in God. I find my joy in the Lord to be at its highest. And I find that when I'm rejoicing in God, that I am much more quicker to share my faith. I find that when I'm rejoicing in God, I am um, even my love for my family changes. My love is heightened. The love that I have for Nehemiah, Serenity, Riley, my wife, it, all that is heightened. I realize when I'm in the joy of the Lord, the love for my neighbors heightened. When I when I'm in the joy of the Lord, when I understand it, when I am seeing and savoring God and who He is. So I say, yes, Nehemiah and Ezra, you are so right. The joy of the Lord does strengthen. It does strengthen me. But what about those times when I'm not rejoicing in God? What about those times when you're not rejoicing in God, when you don't feel that joy? What about those times? Are you still strengthened? When you're not full of the joy of the Lord, it feels like. What about those times? See, I have a confession. I guess this this is a message, and this is also a confession. In my Christian walk, there are times when I'm just not in the joy of the Lord. I'm just being honest. There's times when I I'm not rejoicing like I like I should, and and I used to think that something was wrong with me. And I will begin to question my salvation like, Jesus, do I really love you? Do I really believe the gospel? Because right now I'm not feeling joy. I'm not rejoicing in you right now. I'm singing the same songs as everybody else. I'm hearing the same sermon as everybody else, but but I'm not rejoicing. Jesus, what's wrong with me? If, if I love you so much, why am I not rejoicing right now? Why am I not feeling the joy of the Lord? Why am I feeling weak? Why am I not feeling like Ezra and Nehemiah? Why am I not being strengthened? And that is something how, that's how I felt. I began, to, began to, to wonder why there was no rejoicing in me at times. But I found out that I'm not the only one that feels like this. I would listen to other sermons from other pastors. And they say they would have these same issues. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not just this weird one out here. So you feel this this too. You feel the the same way. And then I began to just ponder on the scriptures. And I realized that there were great men of God that weren't always rejoicing, weren't always strong in the Lord because of the joy that they had. One of those examples is Timothy. I want to show you this. Go to Timothy, 2nd Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6 and 8. 2nd Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6 and 8. And it reads, this is Paul writing to Timothy, a younger pastor, a protege, if you will, a son in the faith. And look what he tells Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear but of power and love and discipline or some scripture will say a sound mind just look at verse 8 he says therefore o timothy do not be ashamed of me of shame of the testimony of our lord or of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of god so paul right now he has to encourage this young Timothy who has this gift. He has this ability and he's not walking in this gift. So Paul has to encourage him and Timothy has this fear in him. And so he has to encourage him to, to not fear. This is Timothy. So that's telling me that Timothy is not always he's feeling like some of these pastors and somebody that he's not always just full of the joy of the Lord, but he's having a a down moment. And so his his father in the faith has to come and encourage him to to stir up those flames. Have you ever went to camping and you were lighting a fire and then the fire kind of got low? And what do you do? You go and you stir up that fire so that fire can begin to blaze and go again. And so that tells me that Timothy was just like me in many ways. That he had to be encouraged. That he actually got down. That he wasn't just always just on. Some, some Christians are just always on. And th- if that is you, amen, my brother and sister, stay on. Stay rejoicing. But I, but I'm looking at a, a brother in Christ here and I see that he's not on. I see that he needs some strengthening. I see that he, he needs to find some, some joy to the Lord so that he can keep going and, and walking in his gift. Because he is he is afraid. He needs to use his gift. He's sitting on his gift, and Paul is saying, "I I know that you have it. I re, I laid the hands on you. We affirmed your gift of of your calling, and so you're, you're walking. You're sleeping on it. So you need to stir this thing up, and, and to not be afraid, and to go forward in the power of the Lord. He needed to be encouraged, even though he's he's a follower of Christ like you and I. He needed to be encouraged." And, and I want to kind of compare this Timothy to Peter and the other apostles' response to adversity and trials in, in Acts. In Acts five five forty one, if you want to go there, the apostle Peter and, um, and some of the apostles they were locked in jail, and they got locked up in in, in jail because of their uh, the name of Jesus. They were going out there. I see everybody going there, so I guess I'll go there. I was just going to summarize it. But if you go in there, I'm going to go there. All right. <laughs> amen. Amen. So 541. So Peter, they're, they're, he's locked in jail. Him and the other apostles, they get out. I mean, they were beaten, matter of fact, before they actually went in. They were flogged and all this different thing. So imagine you just getting beat. You're locked in jail for the name of Jesus and look at their response to adversity and compare that to Timothy it says so they went matter of fact I'm started 40 to give you a better context Acts 5 40 it says they took their advice and after calling the apostles in they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them so they went on their way from the presence of the council look here here's the beauty look what's happening here rejoicing that they have been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Contrast that with Timothy. They are rejoicing in the Lord. They're rejoicing in their their adversity. They are full of the joy of the Lord. That that is what the joy of the Lord can do. Even when pain is coming to you, even when pain is coming to your body, um, you can still go and rejoice in the Lord. I have a, a friend, she has... Some, she has cancer in her body. She has diabetes. She has heart disease. Um, the doctors multiple times said, You only have this much time to live. But this lady is still rejoicing in God. She still goes and walks around her block and encourages others. Why cancer is eating her flesh. Why she has heart disease. Why she's at UC Davis like every other week with another surgery. But yet she's rejoicing in the Lord and she would come with me to the mission and she would give her encouraging words. See, that is what the joy of the Lord can do for you. That even when you are facing adversity, his goodness, his grace is so beautiful that it it outshines the problems that you're dealing with. So you begin to rejoice and to stay in that joy of the Lord. And so that is what we see here with the the uh, apostles. They are rejoicing. They are full of the joy of the Lord that they are now enduring and going through. But also, you can look at the Apostle Paul and his struggles. Acts 18.9. We're still in Acts. Let's go there. Paul had to be encouraged. You say, not the great Paul, right? Not the great missionary Paul. Acts 18.9. Let's see that Paul needs some encouragement here. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, Uh, it's uh, italicized any longer, but go on speaking. And he tells Paul to do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city so I see that my brother Paul It looks like he needed some encouragement as well but the Lord had to give him a boost just like Timothy needed a boost when he was going through whatever he was dealing with how, how Paul would go and encourage him so I'm seeing other believers and, and there's many other people you can get look at more examples and you will see that there were believers but they had different struggles and they weren't always on some were always on some were always rejoicing but some had down moments where they needed to to be encouraged and 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 lifted up so they can go forward. So I'm like, when I'm looking in the scriptures, I'm seeing, saying, "Okay, God, I, I get it now. I I, I I get it. I'm not this weird outcast over here." But there are believers that have the same issue, and so the question is, why does this happen? Why do we have these ups and downs when it comes to our, our joy, our joy in the Lord? Why is it like some days we're just on His high and we're just going and then some days we're just really low sometimes. Why does this happen? Because we're in a battle and not to sound so cliche, but you actually have to fight for your joy. You have to fight for it. And that is why we, we're in these these battles, because there are so many full joy temptations in the world. And so we, we have to fight, because there's these other full joy temptations that can take our eyes off the, the beauty, the true prize, and we can begin to put our eyes on these other things that don't really offer joy, and then we find ourselves down. So we have to fight for our joy. I think about Paul's letter to the churches. In many of Paul's letters to the churches, he'll name or begin to describe people who have deserted from the faith. They've deserted from the faith for for money, for I think about Demas. Um, they've deserted from the faith uh, because of power. They they wanted their own power, or they deserted from the faith because they uh, had love for this present world. And when I read those verses, I say those people were tricked. They thought that there was something better better than God. They thought that there was another joy out there that was greater than God. Their joy wasn't in him. And so th- these people were tricked into thinking that money or power was going to solve their issue. They were tricked into thinking that if I had this prestige, and this would solve my issue. So they departed from Christ. They, they departed away from the fellowship of the body. I said they were tricked. They thought that that, that, that there was something else better. And guess what? some of us are just like that we say oh if i just get this house my joy will be complete if i just get this car my joy will be complete if i just find this husband or if i just find this wife or if i just lose these pounds or if i just get this marriage if i just get this one thing then my happiness and my joy will be complete but here's the secret the secret is that You need the joy of the Lord even to enjoy those things. Without the joy of the Lord, you won't even truly enjoy the marriage. You won't even truly enjoy your kids like you can. You won't even truly enjoy that house that you have. You need the joy of the Lord. You need to be rejoicing in him so that you actually can enjoy these things. Because without the joy of the Lord. Those things will just let you down on your own or on its own. A marriage just on its own is not going to bring the joy. Just, just, uh, success on its own is not going to bring the joy. Just a house and a car and all these things that you think that's going to make you complete and whole. It's not going to bring you joy. God is the source. God is the center. If you try to move away from him and try to get it some other way, you're just going to be let down. Nothing else can satisfy. And I and, and I think that's what Jeremiah was getting at in Jeremiah two thirteen. Um, go ahead, please. Jeremiah two thirteen. Jeremiah two thirteen. It's on. This is a verse that I see a lot of pastors, ministers of the gospel use to describe our joy and satisfaction. And I think it's a great verse because it speaks so much to this issue. All right, Jeremiah 2.13, look what he says here. He says, for my people have committed to evils. Okay. They have forsaken me, one, they've left me. I'm God, not me, I'm God, but God in the scripture. <laughs> they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, an endless source. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Look what it says. To hew out for themselves cisterns, not just cisterns, but broken cisterns that can hold no water. So I'm God, I'm the source. I'm the fountain of life. I'm the unending source that you can come and get. And they have left me for these broken cisterns and in, dug into the ground that don't even properly work. Can you see how blasphemous that is? You, you, you have this great source here and you're saying this great source, you're not enough. So I'm, I'm leaving you and I'm going to get this weaker source. And, and, and that is what we do sometimes. God is so glorious, but we're saying, no, I I need something else. When we say I need just this house or if I need just this, that no God is in the I am the source. I I am the, I am the meaning and that is where you get your joy from. So we don't want to go this route as the children of Israel did. God is our source. We don't need just this one other thing to be complete. God makes us whole and complete. Those other things can God uses to enhance to show more of His glory, but we don't need this to be complete. God is our source. So, let's kind of get into some of our our joy stillers, um, our, our joy stillers. And while we we don't always rejoice, I know we kind of hinted on it a little bit, but um, our, our joy stillers. And one of our our big joy stillers is sin. Sin is one of our big joy stillers. Sin weighs heavy on our conscience. Um, the place that I would want to go to that to, to look at that is, is Psalms fifty-one. Go to Psalms fifty-one, please, and look at verse twelve. Psalms fifty-one is a psalm of David. David, remember David and Bathsheba, right? Got her husband Uriah killed. And got her husband Uriah killed, slept with another man's wife, and he's feeling it now in this song. He's in a state of repentance. He feels bad. He's heartbroken over his sin. And look what he says in verse 12. He says, restore me, restore to me, I'm sorry, restore to me the joy of Your salvation. I'm gonna just stop there. That's just the A portion. He says to restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's lost it and he's saying, God, restore that joy that I had in your salvation. What has brought him to this place? It is sin. Sin brought him to this place to where now he is begging in God and said, please restore me to the joy that I had in, in this salvation, this joy in you. See, some of you may be struggling right now with your joy, and I have to ask you, are you harboring sin in your heart? I'm not talking about that sin that we, we mess up and do as we go up our life, but I'm talking about that habitual sin that has you in bondage, that you're constantly doing. That is robbing you of your joy. That is taking the joy of the Lord from you. So we, we need to get like David and get to this point of repentance and ask God to restore to us the joy that we once had. So sin is a thing that can steal your joy. We want to repent of that, turn away from that and ask God for restoration so that we can return to the, the joy of him, of who he is. And so well, let's let's check ourselves in, in that way. Another one of our, our joy-stealers, walking in the flesh and worldly living. It's another reason that we don't rejoice in the Lord, or find our, our joy in the Lord, because we're walking in the flesh with a sense of worldliness. And you can go to Galatians 5 there. but I don't want to turn there. I just want to speak for a sec. As believers, If I'm living according to my natural human nature, or if I'm taking my cues from the world, guess what? Galatians tells me that the flesh and the spirit are in this battle. And so if I'm in the flesh, I'm not going to desire the things of the spirit. So if I'm walking in my flesh, the things of God are not going to be so appealing to me. Church fellowship is not going to be appealing to me. Reading my Bible is not going to be appealing to me. Hearing the sermons, I'm going to be bored. Why? Because I'm, I'm walking in my flesh, and if I'm walking in my flesh, I cannot enjoy the things of the Spirit. So that is one of the things that robs us of our joy when we're living according to our natural inclinations or taking our cues from the world. See, you cannot be a mass consumer of the ways of the world and think that you're going to be a spiritual person rejoicing in Jesus. Just doesn't work that way. It's it's one or the other. So we have to check ourselves. Am I am I saying you know what when I get home from work? It's the first thing I'm thinking, bed or Bible? Which which one am I thinking? Yes, I'm tired, and there's times, yes, I know when we have to take a break, but what, what am I thinking? Am I thinking bed or bible? We gotta check ourselves in those situations. Our flesh wants just relaxation and, and leisure. That's what it wants, but we have to we have to check it because it's not gonna naturally want the things of the spirit. So if we are not careful, we can easily walk away, and begin to walk into the ways of the world. We can't take our cues from the ways of the world and expect to be this spiritual person full of the joy of the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you, how much are you to how much are you into pop culture? If you know all the Kardashians, if you know all of their statuses, you may be way too far into pop culture. If you're on top of all the latest and coolest TV shows, you may be way into pop culture, way into the world. Men, if you are just sports fanatics and live and breathe sports, you may be way into pop culture and that will steal your joy. So these are some of the Joy stealers that we have to watch for. And they can easily seem harmless, right? Just watching this TV show for four hours. Yes, it may not be, I just committed adultery, but that thing can take you from your joy. You can be so consumed in the world. Another one of our, our, our joy stealers, and I'll say this is probably the biggest one. The trials of life the trials of life. Joy stillers. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulations, he told the disciples. We learn from Paul's letter to Timothy that godly living will bring persecution. So we are going to go through trials in this life as believers. We're going to suffer some uh, difficulties. But it's how we look at our trials It is our perspective of our trials that will determine if there will be any joy in God or rejoicing in them. And that is the key thing. And that is what I believe James brings out to us. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's just look what James says, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, look what James says about our trials, one of our biggest joy stillers. He said, consider it all joy, James is saying, consider it all joy, my brethren, which is just talking about partakers, believers, when you encounter various trials. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result or work in you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that a perspective on trials that is much different from the ways of the world? James is telling me that my trials is actually working and doing something on my behalf that's actually going to make me better. That's going to make me complete. So he he has a, a total different perspective on struggle, on trials, on hurt and pain than what we hear out in the world. James has said that these trials is actually making you better. They're making you stronger. And you also find the same language in Romans 5 verses 3 through 5. where where these different trials is actually making us stronger. So our perspective on the trials determines our rejoicing in God. So know that your perspective on your trial will determine the joy and rejoicing that you have in God. James is saying that these trials can actually make us better, make us stronger. And guess what? I do not think that This is just a New Testament thing that James is pointing out here. I think this is part of the character of God in allowing people to go through trials to strengthen their faith and to make them complete. And one example of this is the children of Israel. I'm going to give you this example. The children of Israel in 2 Chronicles 20, before they even get out to battle, the Lord had already taken care of their problems. They're going out to battle. They're ready to fight. They got their arms. They're ready to go to attack this enemy. But before they even lifted up their sword to swing, God had already defeated their enemy. So all they had to do was to go in and reap the harvest. That's one scenario or one situation. But then there's other times when God actually allows the children of Israel to literally go into battle and to see his glory from that standpoint. God could have just allowed them or God could have just went before them in every battle and just demolished their enemies to where they never even fought. But that was not the case. He allowed them to go through this fight, to go to the struggle so that they may see his strength in their personal circumstance and situation where they're at right now. So there's times when God just wipes out the situation where they don't even have to go in and lift a finger. And then there's times when God allows them to actually go in the battle and to engage, and yet He He brings them out victorious. But then they begin to see God's glory on the battleground now, as opposed to just kind of stepping aside and let God work. So we see that God He He allows His people to go through these sometimes. He allows it for His glory. So when we begin to look at our situations and, perspe- uh, and and trials from a different perspective, you will see things different. And it won't always steal our joy when we go through these trials. If we look at it from the lens of God, as we see in the scriptures in James. So we have to watch out for these joy stealers. You can even look at Jesus. In Hebrews 2.10, it talks about that it was fitting It was right or proper for God to make the author of our salvation complete or perfect through suffering. So again, I'm seeing how God is using trials again to the good. So we have to look at our trials from a different perspective. We can't look at them from the perspective of the world, but from the perspective of God. And when we do that, there's rejoicing in it. And it's not still in our joy, but now we're going higher in the Lord so we must watch out for these joy stillers. So we know that joy is essential in our walk and following Christ. We also know that we need to be on the lookout for our joy stillers. But before we go a little further I want to make a point here. The reason that I I say joy sometimes and not always joy in the Lord because I'm not sure if the world can even offer joy. I really think the joy of the Lord is the only true joy. And um, I, I like how um, C.S. Lewis puts it in, in his book. C.S. Lewis, he was a joy fanatic as well. Great writer, great writer. In his book, um, Surprised by Joy, that's the name of his book, Surprised by Joy. He says this. He says that I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are substitutes, or I would say cheap substitutes, for joy that the world really can't even offer joy, that they can just offer pleasure. But pleasure is short-lived. Pleasure is not joy. Pleasure is just this this little short-lived thing, but it's not true joy. And and so I think that in this society, in this sex-crazed society that we live in, many people are seeking joy, but settling for this just a cheap pleasure. See, joy only comes in the Lord. See, pleasure is, is short-lived. See, the person going out and getting drunk for that period of time, they may feel joy or pleasure for a little bit. The person committing adultery may feel for a moment a, a little thrill, but that's just for a moment. It is not joy. See, joy is only something from the Lord. It is it is enduring. It is long-term. Pleasure is short-lived. So I'm really just not sure You can check me on this, if the world really even has any joy to offer, or does it just have pleasure? That's like an imitation joy that leads to addiction because it doesn't satisfy, so we need more. We need more of the drugs. We need more of the bottles. We need more of this and that. I I don't know if the world can even offer any joy. So how do we increase our joy? That's the question I guess we want to know, right? How do we increase our joy, our joy in the Lord? And in this, I'm in full agreement with uh, Piper, John Piper, great Christian uh, minister of the gospel, that joy comes from seeing and savoring God in the gospel. And I know in the beginning I said that joy is an enduring satisfaction or, or gladness in the heart and mind and God and that in the New Testament it's in the person of Jesus Christ and his work of redemption and restoration of life. But in order for you to actually see this Jesus, to find your joy in him, you really need to know him and see who he really is. See, if you don't see Jesus, if you don't see him as glorious, as as wonderful, then you're not going to rejoice in him. So the, the, the beginning of joy starts with seeing and now savoring God. And once we see and savor God and how grand and how marvelous he is, then we can find our rejoicing. So one day, I'm going to give you this story. Pastor Brian, you're going to remember this. One day, um, to give, I want to give you an example of what I mean by seeing God and finding your joy in him. One day, me and Pastor Brian were meeting for lunch. And, um, just laughing. I think about it. We meet for lunch and, um, he's like, Hey, Jerome, how you doing? Like, Hey, I'm doing good. It's like, what you been up to? And I'm like, man, I just been staring at God. Remember what I said? I said, I've been staring at God. And he gave me this crazy look. Like, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? You've been staring at God. And, and, and what I mean by staring at God is that i just been pondering i just been meditating on his goodness my salvation jesus christ ruling and reigning and knowing that i'm gonna be with him and how i'm not how i used to be and i'm just i'm just sitting there and and all staring at god not like with my eyes but in my spirit in my heart i'm just reflecting on His goodness and i'm just staring at him At work, I have my computer, because I'm just so caught up in who he is, and I'm just seeing God, and I'm just rejoicing in who he is. And that is what I believe the the psalmist, or or David, meant in Psalms 27, verse 4. Go with me here, and this will explain more of my seeing or staring at God. Go to Psalms 24, um, 27, verse 4. Psalms 27 verse 4 I saw uh, me and David on the same page here the psalmist we're on the same page look what look what it look what his request is his request is this he says one thing have I asked from the Lord that I shall seek look what he asks he says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Here goes my part. Here goes the beauty. Look what he says. I want to dwell there in the house of the Lord all my life. For what reason? Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord to behold. That means to see. That means to perceive. In Greek, this, this, uh, this Greek word is what is this? It's uh, here. Let me let me give what this word means. It it's chazar. Here we go. The Greek word for 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 behold to see is kaza. And and it means to gaze. It means to mentally perceive or to contemplate. Guess what? With pleasure. So Davidson here, I just want to be in his house and I just want to dwell and contemplate on my God with joy and pleasure and who he is. And that is what I mean when I say that I'm just staring at God. See, there are times when I'm in my knees praying or I'm studying the scriptures and God has given me revelation and he's opened my eyes to, to see his beauty. And I just want to stay there all day. I just want time to stop and I just want him to keep to fill me and show me his goodness. And but but then I realized that I got to take Serenity to school and then I realized I got, I got work to get to, but I just want to stay there and just behold his beauty because I'm just rejoicing in, in who he is and what he's done you see. That is the point of the, the Psalm is he knows God is so beautiful. He just wants to stay there and stare and just gaze and see how beautiful he is and to find his rejoicing and pleasure right there. Looking at God, that's joy. See, he said he wants to see and perceive. That is why I say that the beginning of joy is seeing and savoring God. Seeing and savoring God. It's just beautiful. You just want to just stay there all the day and let them fill you and see. And you just want to just rejoice. And you can just look at Peter, for example, when they when he's seen the joy of Christ. Remember, he's in a vault. I preached on a couple of weeks ago what happened when he actually seen Jesus for who he really was. He fell on his knees and he said, "Depart from me, Lord, because I'm a, a sinful, wicked man. I don't, I don't deserve to be in your presence." He realized how holy Jesus was. His eyes became open, and he would have say? What happened when he got back to shore? That he left all things. He forsook his fishing business. He left all of those things. They didn't matter anymore because he found the the true ch- treasure. He he found the fountain of living water, and he seen his beauty, and said that none of this stuff matters anymore. I I see this beautiful thing over here, so I'm I'm forsaking it all, and I'm I'm going to it. I'm I'm following. He's seen it, and so he followed. He's seen the glory. Paul, on the way to Damascus, began to see the glory of Jesus. He began to minister to him, so Paul left everything and spent his whole life as a missionary. He saw God. He seen Christ for who he is. He's seen the glory. So our joy with seeing and savoring God but in all these events that I just mentioned with Peter and Paul guess what in these events it was the sovereign work of God opening up the eyes of the individuals they didn't open their own eyes so if God does not open the eyes then we're not gonna see it's a it's a sovereign work of God to open our eyes, to give us more revelation, to see him. And that's why I believe that Paul encourages the Ephesians and the Colossians. He prays that God may increase their knowledge and understanding of him to enlighten their hearts. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. You'll see what I mean by that. Chapter one verse uh, seventeen. Paul is making a prayer for the Ephesians. Sovereign work of God. Open the eyes of the individuals to properly see him. Can't happen in the flesh, naturally. Ephesians one seventeen. Look what Paul prays. I'll start in 16. Do not cease giving thanks for you. Paul said he does not cease giving thanks for them while making mention of you in my prayers. Look what his prayer is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, look, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him to see him. I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of revelation and a knowledge of who he is. Once you see God, he is beautiful. We rejoice in him. He says, I pray that, look, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? When you see this, you begin to rejoice. That's why he's praying that God will open your eyes so that you can see this. It's, it's beautiful. But he's praying to God because it's a sovereign work of God to open your eyes to see it. Without him doing it, we're not going to see it. So he's praying God open their eyes that they can see who you are, that their eyes of their heart may be enlightened. It's beautiful. God, he's showing them that they're Praying that this this enlightenment is outside of their will, that is, it's God's power to do. He's praying, and you can look in Colossians one nine through ten. I'm not going to go there today, but on your own terms, you can look at Colossians one nine through ten, and you'll see the same thing. He's praying for wisdom and knowledge that they may see God. So as this knowledge and understanding increases in God, God becomes more beautiful, more desirable in us, thus increasing our joy in Him. But some of you say, and I'm sure I I know I would say, but some of you say, Brother Jerome, um, I am doing that. I am praying that God will open my eyes. I am praying that I will be able to see him. I am reading my Bible, but I'm not seeing glory that you're talking about. I'm doing those things, but I'm not seeing the glory. My response is, let let me give you the response. It's It's in Luke 11 go to Luke, Luke 11, and I'll answer it this way, I'm going to reverse 5 down to 10, just so you can get a context, no, I'm going to start at 9, matter of fact, and let this answer for you. This is Jesus preaching on prayer. So you say, Brother Jerome, I am doing these things. I'm praying and I'm asking God to open my eyes. I'm asking him to show me glory so that I can rejoice in him, that I can see him, that he can be my all in all. I'm doing these things, Brother Jerome, but I'm not seeing glory. Uh, look what Jesus says here. We're going to start at, at nine, not five, but nine. He says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who receives I mean for everyone who ask receives and he who receives finds and to him who knocks it will be open now understand this my brothers and sisters in the context of this enjoy our responsibility as believers is to seek it is to knock. Our seeking is in the form of prayer. Our, our, our knocking is in the form of studying our scriptures. Our seeking is in the form of church fellowship. Our seeking in the fo- is in the form of doing all the things that Jesus commanded. But please understand this it is our responsibility to seek God determines when he will be found God determines when that door will be open for some of you at the point of conversion all it took was one knock you were sitting in church you heard the gospel and you were converted for others it took multiple knocks you heard multiple sermons you went to multiple conferences you read multiple books and you kept knocking and you kept knocking and you kept seeking and eventually that door opened see it is God's um, sovereign will and determine when that door will be open. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to knock and seek. So even when that door is not opening, we keep praying. Even when that door is not opening, we keep reading, we keep fasting, we keep going forward and forward till we see glory, until we rejoice. You don't stop until you get to glory. You don't stop until you get to rejoicing. It's, it's never, I tried that. There's no, I tried that. You keep trying. You keep praying. You keep knocking. And it says that this door will be opened. So you just don't give up. It's not just I did that. I, I'm trying, I'm trying to read. I'm no, you keep reading, you keep seeking. God will open the door when he chooses. He's sovereign over that. Your responsibility is to seek him. And as you do that, as you seek him, God reveals and we seek glory and we find our rejoicing in it. So know that, my brothers and sisters. Keep going. Keep doing it. I know it gets hard and we're like, God, I'm just not seeing you at this moment. You just keep praying. You just keep asking. God, open my eyes. I want to keep, I want to rejoice in you. I'm not rejoicing in you right now. Lord, Lord, show me you just keep being obedient to that. That door will be opened. You will find. That's what we do in those moments when we feel so low, and I'm not finding my rejoicing in God. We just keep being persistent. That is the point of that um, what Jesus was describing. But here are some some other uh practical things I would say to do when you're you're not in the joy of the Lord. And that is preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Preach to yourself the promises of God. Preach to yourself the gospel, the good news over and over and over and over again. I'm giving an example of me the other day. I was down, not rejoicing in the Lord, not seeing him clearly. And by God's grace, and I say by God's grace, I had a three-hour road trip for work. And so I'm in the car. There's no radio cutting on. All I'm doing is preaching to myself. That's all I did for three hours from Sacramento to San Jose. And this is traffic time. So it took like literally three hours. And I'm just in a car preaching to myself. Saying, Jerome, it pleased God to reveal his son in you. Jerome, God thought it was good to reveal the hidden wisdom to you about who he is. Jerome, the proof of God's love is, is the cross and the blood of Jesus. Jerome, God is a good father. And, and God loves you a zillion times more than you love Serenity, Riley, um, Nehemiah, your wife. God is a good father. He loves you way more than that. I just kept preaching to myself over and over and over and over and over to I entered into glory and rejoicing. So you just you just keep preaching to yourself. You keep pondering on the on the promises of God and, and the the good news. If if it's Christian music, get your Christian music out and just sing and rejoice to the top of your lungs. You just keep doing that. Until you see glory. We don't stop. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength and we need that strength to get by in this world. So you pursue the joy of the Lord. You pursue God. And he will open that door. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, you are super mighty, awesome, awesome. I can't even think of a word, Lord God. I'm just trying to think of some type of adjective to describe you, Lord god i know we know in those moments we are not seeing you clearly god lord we just want to we want to praise you we want to see your beauty we want to we want to rejoice with all of our being god so god reveal your truth to us god reveal yourself more and more to us god may your word that we read stay in our mind and our conscience God, may we see your beauty so, God, that we are set on fire for you, Lord. God, that we serve you with all of our energy, Lord. Open and reveal to your people, Lord God, the beauty of who you are. We just want to dwell and see you. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the cross. May we ever see and realize this beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.